Are you excited? Something pretty happy. Uh, there, there's something really happening tonight. This, this is our last message out of First Corinthians. For some of you, you might be kind of bummed like that about that. For some of you, you might be like, "Goodness gracious, this should have come months ago." Like our last message should have been before the first one, kind of thing. But personally, I've really enjoyed First Corinthians. First Corinthians has been interesting. We've covered a lot of topics that. I think are extremely pertinent to us. We talked about purity. We talked about gender. We talked about, you know, trusting the things that God says over the things that people say. We've talked about singleness. We've talked about being missionaries. We've talked about so many things that are so important for how you guys live as Christians. And tonight, we're coming in to Paul's conclusion. We're coming to the last thing that Paul is saying to the Corinthians before he essentially signs the letter and says, peace out, home slices. And the last thing that Paul deals with is actually also the first thing that Paul deals with. He opens and closes 1 Corinthians talking about the gospel. Because if you guys remember, what is the defining characteristic of the Corinthian church? What's their deal? The Corinthians, what, what was, what was it? They were not that good. That's exactly right. The Corinthian church had problems. They're divisive. They don't call out sin. They don't love each other properly. They're judgmental. They don't care about love. And they're obsessed with each person getting their own way. Like the Corinthian church is exactly what a church is supposed to not be. And the thing that Paul bookends the message with is the gospel. Because if you guys remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we were talking about spiritual maturity, and I said something. I said that before you can have spiritual maturity, what do you need to have? If a person isn't blank, they aren't spiritually mature. Saved. That's right. If you're not a Christian, you're not spiritually mature. If you're not a Christian, you can't work for reward. If you're not a Christian, you can't please God. And so the very beginning of solving the problem in the Corinthian church is they need to understand the gospel because there's going to be people in that church that aren't actually Christians and they need to be saved. But if you are a Christian, there's a really important reason that you need to understand the gospel. What is it? If you're a Christian, then you are a missionary. missionary. That's right. Rachel, two for two. Yeah. So if you're a Christian... You, like, if you're not a Christian, you need to know the gospel so you can accept it. If you are a Christian, you need to know the gospel so that you can share it. So Paul starts and ends 1 Corinthians talking about the gospel. And we're going to talk about the gospel. Tonight's message is of salvation and resurrection. We're going to talk about what the gospel is and what it does. And I can think of no better way to finish 1 Corinthians. Yes. No, so chapter 16 is mainly like Paul saying goodbye. He's like saying, hey, send some money to this church over here. Be prepared for these people that I'm sending over to you. Like he talks about uh, Timothy and a few others, and then he gives them like a final benediction. So it's basically like how you'd sign a letter and say sincerely, you know, the last chapter is basically Paul's sincerely Paul. Not that it's not important, but we need to finish the series. <laughs> um... But we're going to dive in. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to talk about 
the gospel. We're going to talk about salvation and resurrection. So it starts, and we're not going to read the entire thing because it's long, but we're going to hit the main points. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul, he writes to the Corinthian church and he says, primarily, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who believes the gospel. And that's important. One of the reasons that the gospel is so crucial is that if you know nothing else, if all you know is the gospel, if you don't know the books of the Bible, if you haven't read the Bible, if you don't know the first thing about who Paul is or who Luke is, or if you don't know who Moses is, or you don't know who John the Baptist is, if you don't know any of those things, but you know the gospel, that's all you need. That is enough to save you. And so Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you who are, uh, you who received the gospel in which you stand, by which you are being saved if you hold fast. He defines Christians as people who believe the gospel. So then he's going to talk about what the gospel is. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So I'm going to give you guys the first point. But the first point is that the gospel is primary. What does it mean when something's primary? First. first. That's right. So the gospel comes first, but it's also of first importance. Paul says... I delivered to you as of first importance. If you're a Christian, the thing that comes first in your Christian life is the gospel. If you're a Christian, the thing that's most important in your life is the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, he just said it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you want to know the gospel in the shortest terms possible, it's that sentence. Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. At the very core of the gospel message is who Christ is, what he did, and where he is. And that's crucial. How do you know if someone's a Christian? Do they believe the gospel? Do they believe that they're a sinner? Do they believe that Jesus needed to die for their sins, that they had a problem? Do they believe that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died for their sins and rose again? And have they submitted to that? Yes. So is the gospel just Jesus' life? So the gospels are Jesus' life because Jesus is at the core of the gospels. But the gospel message is like, what do you need to believe to be a Christian? So if I say share the gospel with someone, I'm saying that you need to tell someone, like a person to be a Christian needs to know, I'm a sinner. Sin means that I'm going to die. It means I'm going to go to hell. Because God's perfect and he has to judge sin. So that's my problem. But the solution is Jesus. Jesus Christ came. He's the son of God. He is God. He lived a perfect life and he died for my sin. He paid that penalty. And if I repent, if I repent of my sins and I accept Jesus as Lord, then I can have life and I can go to heaven. Like what I just gave you, problem, solution. That's the gospel. Like that right there. So when I say like share the gospel with someone, that's what I'm talking about. But when we talk about the gospels, that's the story of Jesus' life because Jesus is the good news. So how do you know if someone's a Christian? Well, do they believe the gospel? Because the gospel is primary. But there's things in that. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died, 
they're not a Christian. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus is God, they're not a Christian. If someone hasn't repented and submitted to Jesus as Lord, they're not a Christian. If someone doesn't believe that they're a sinner, they're not a Christian. Like, you can go on each of those things. The gospel is essentially, if you don't believe it, you're not a Christian. And it's the minimum of what you need to believe to be a Christian. So, Paul says, that's the most important thing. But, he doesn't stop there. He says for uh, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, those are the disciples and the apostles, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, that's in Acts, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So the thing that you need to think about is that the gospel is a historical fact. We don't believe in something just because we like to believe in it. It's not just unicorns and rainbows. It's not just like putting your faith in something and it doesn't matter if it's not there. Like if I'm falling off a cliff and there's a rope next to me or there's a small twig sticking out of the dirt, if I think to myself, man, that twig can definitely save me and I grab onto it and I really trust it, it's going to break, I'm going to fall, I'm going to die. It's not enough that you have faith in something. If I look at the rope and I'm like, yeah, that rope can definitely save me. And I just stare at the rope, considering how secure it is as I fall all the way to the bottom. I'm still going to die, right? It's not enough to have faith. You have to have faith and you have to take hold. And that's what the gospel is. But the reason that we can have faith in that, Paul writes this to people who, after reading it, can walk over to Jerusalem, can walk over to Israel, can talk to people who have seen Christ after he rose again. And that'd be a pretty dumb thing to write to people if it didn't actually happen. Because they're going to go and they're going to verify. And the thing is, the Gospels are historical accounts that people wrote to people, about people, and that other people witnessed and could verify. And we need to understand, like, this is historical reality. Jesus actually rose again from the dead and people saw him do it. It's not like the disciples got together and just spread a lie. They were witnesses of something. There were other witnesses to corroborate their story. And most of them went to their graves in torturous deaths, still proclaiming the resurrection. Which is not something that you do about something that you lied about. Like, we don't just have faith for the sake of having faith. We have faith in something that actually happened. And that's the gospel. So know the gospel. Know that it's the core of your faith, that it's the first thing in a Christian's life, that it's primary, and know that it's reliable that you have, the, you have faith in something that's true. So, other than that, the gospel does not change. Because here's the problem. If you're a missionary and you're trying to spread the gospel and share it with as many people as possible, what's something that you might have the temptation to do? If your goal is to have as many people accepting the gospel, showing up in church on the Sunday morning, what might you want to do to the gospel? Change it. That's right. Shocker, shocker. I wonder what the point was. Yeah, right? Change it. Because if people don't like the gospel, like if you walk up to someone in the morning and you're like, hey, you're a sinner, you're going to hell because you suck. Is that a message that most people want to hear? That you're so bad that God himself had to come down to earth and suffer and die for you because there was no other way to get your sorry butt into heaven. Is that the message that people want to hear? If I come to you and I say, the only way for you to get to heaven is to submit to God, to repent of your sin, to abandon it, and instead to live for God, is that a message that people want to hear? No. 
And so there's a temptation to change it. And that's what the Corinthians did. And Paul, he says, remember the gospel that I taught to you. And then he's going to start going into the way that the Corinthians changed it. And this isn't the first time the Corinthians did that. We talked about this back in chapter four, but he's hitting it again because they're tempted to change what the Bible says. Because in verse 12, he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people in the Corinthian church that didn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, this is a movement called Gnosticism, and it was a heresy that originated in the early church, and it was the belief that, you know, the spiritual realm is good, and then physical matter is bad. So, like, your soul is moral and good, but your body is sinful. It's called dualism. And Gnostics were a massive sect of the Christian church in the early centuries. And that was what they believed. They believed, yes, there are still Gnostics. It's not as common, but it takes different forms. There are other heresies that are similar but more common in the modern day, but there are still some that are Gnostics. So, uh, what was I saying? They existed. Okay, so the point of Gnosticism was they were trying to make Christianity more appealing to the general public. Because back then, it was really popular in philosophy that the spirit world was good and that matter was bad. In like Hinduism, for example, they believe that all reality came from Brahman. And the process of life is like eventually everything returning to Brahman. Right? What? Brahman. Yeah. Brahman. You pronounce it Brahman. I might be butchering it, but it's fine. So that's not the point. But they believe that eventually everything kind of returns to this original spirit. Or in different things, like it was very common specifically in the early centuries that they viewed things in this dualism where it's spirit is good, body is bad. And so the Gnostics, they believed that, well, if spirit is good and body is bad and Jesus was perfect, obviously Jesus didn't have a body. Obviously Jesus wasn't a man. And here's the thing, if you don't believe Jesus was a man, you're not a Christian. But the more common version of that in the modern day is believing that Jesus wasn't God. How many people do you know who say, oh yeah, Jesus was a good man. He was a teacher who lived like 2000 years ago. He wasn't God. Yeah. Yeah, it's very common. In the modern day, it's people don't want to view him as God. But back then it was that they didn't want to view him as a man. So they said that Jesus walked around, but he didn't actually have a body. He was like a hologram that people saw, but like he didn't actually have a body. And he also never rose from the dead because a bodily resurrection. Yeah. Uh, unimportant. <laughs> so they were like, yeah. And then if bodies are bad, then obviously in heaven, there will be no bodies because heaven's perfect. So there is no physical resurrection. Like, that was the thing that the Gnostics believed. And Paul's actually calling them out right here. He says, But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And didn't he just talk about how Christ rose again and then revealed himself to people? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that just means people who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And he just says, don't you realize that when you change the gospel to make it more appealing, you throw it away? Because, for example, if I go to someone and I say, hey, man, are you a Christian? And he's like, nah, bro, I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist. And I say, well, here's the thing. All you got to do is show up to church every Sunday, and then you pray and ask God for stuff you want, and he has to give it to you. It's amazing. Done. Done. Yeah, done. Sign me up, man. You mean I just got to show up to some building for an hour and a half every morning on Sunday, and then I get whatever I want by praying? Perfect. So, I mean, hey, I got that person coming to church on Sunday, but is that person a Christian? No. Is that person going to go to heaven? No. Where's that person going to go? Hell. That is not something that can save him. But the issue is, isn't that more appealing? Isn't that more appealing than saying you're a sinner who's going to hell and you need to repent? And that's the difficulty. If you change the gospel, you lose it. So the point of this, like that's an example from back then. But the principle is the same. You don't change the gospel. You don't change what the gospel is. You don't change what the Bible says. You don't have the option of doing that. God says what he says. You take it and you obey. You take it, you believe it, you do it. That's the thing that I want you guys to think about. In all of this, I'm trying to help you to have the right attitude towards the Bible. When the Bible says something, you're supposed to accept it and do it. Because if you don't, you compromise your ability to function properly. And think about all the stuff that we've talked about in 1 Corinthians that the Gnostics, the Corinthian church, they were like throwing things away because they weren't popular. They were trying to make Christianity more popular to a broader audience. And think about if we approached the Bible like that, the stuff in 1 Corinthians that we would just throw away. All the stuff that we talked about with sexual purity, that's not popular, throw it out. The stuff that we talked about with gender, how you are the gender that God made you, that's not popular. Goodness gracious, is that not popular? Throw it out. That stuff that we talked about, how Jesus is the only way, that if you're not a Christian, you go to hell, that's not popular. Throw it out. And I could go down the list of all of the things in the Bible that are not popular that you still need to believe. The gospel itself is not popular. In 1 Corinthians chapter... Ooh, let me actually turn to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says... Sorry, verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People don't like the gospel. And if you make your decisions about what you're going to believe based on what's popular, you're going to miss the point. You're going to lose the power of the Bible in your life. And there's actually a specific example of that that is brought up in this section, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but we are going to talk about it. So we talked about how in the modern day, the more common thing is that people refuse to accept that Jesus was God. What is something else? That in the modern day, if you don't believe it, you're laughed out of the room. Something that's taught in schools. Something that everyone holds as dogma in the United States. There are people in the church that believe this. There are people in all sorts of religions that believe this. What do you think I'm talking about? Evolution. Evolution. You got it immediately. So evolution is actually like, not evolution, because evolution didn't exist 2,000 years ago, but 
the issue of origins is actually brought up in this chapter because we don't necessarily have people in the modern day who think that you know spirit is good material is bad that's not necessarily a common dominant belief what we do have however are people who do the other direction they say no yeah god didn't create the world in six days if you believe that you're an idiot obviously we came from evolution and there are people who take that route and there are people in the church who compromise on what the bible says because they feel pressure from outside sources yes possibly so i think there are certain things that for example if you don't believe that jesus is god you are not a christian period i think it's possible to believe in evolution and still be a christian possible you cannot be a healthy christian and believe in evolution because if you believe in evolution you're calling god a liar and i'm actually going to talk to you about something else from this section if evolution is true you're going to hell That's a bold statement. Yes. Uh, we're talking about. I don't see the. What do you mean? We're talking about evolution, as in the idea that like life originated in a Pythagorean in a primordial soup, you know, billions of years ago, and then from that bacteria cell, all life as we see it evolved. So like that kind of thing, like evolution has origins, like big evolution, like natural selection is it exists, we see it. But you don't see like birds turning into people kind of thing. Or I guess fish turning into people. But like the same way that Paul says, if you don't believe in a resurrection, you know, it's possible that you could be a Christian. It's possible. You can't be a healthy Christian, but it's possible. And Paul says, if there is no resurrection, you're still in your sins. Your faith is futile. If you believe in evolution, or rather, if evolution is true, we are all going to hell. That's a bold statement. That's a bold claim. Let me tell you how Paul says that. So it is verse 21 and 22. It says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. So first of all, he's equating Adam to Christ. He's referring to Adam as a literal person. If Adam was not the literal father of, the, of all human beings, um, then this is a dishonest piece of scripture because he's referring to Adam as literal. In fact, Adam appears in genealogies in Luke. So Adam is referred to as a literal person, first of all. But beyond that, uh, what came first? Sin or death? Which one came first? Sin. In fact, I'm going to support that real quick. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. James 1.15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is very clear that death is the result of sin. Elsewhere in Romans, it's Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. That sin comes first and then death. So, in evolution, before mankind existed, what existed? Death. Because evolution is over generations and generations and generations of death, the good qualities are selected for and you have evolution. So if you believe evolution, you believe that death came before sin. Why does Jesus save you from hell? What does Jesus, what did he die for? Our sins. That's what it says in verse three, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. If Jesus paid for your sins, like essentially what it comes down to is this. Your death is a result of sin. If death came before sin, 
then Jesus dealing with your sin problem does not deal with your death problem. Because before you sinned, you were dead. You were dying. So Jesus saving you from your sin does not save you from death. So in the same way that if there is no resurrection, you're still in your sins, if evolution is where we came from, you're going to hell. So can you believe that and still be a Christian? Potentially. I think that there are people that I think are Christians that believe in that, but you cannot be a healthy Christian and believe in that because you have to reject what God says. You have to reject the Bible. And also, if evolution is true, um, Christianity doesn't matter. Do what you want. You're going to die anyway. So, and if you think that's pretty intense, um, let me, I'm going to read further down in the chapter. It says, verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts Excuse me. at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. So when I said, you know, if you're still in your sins, just do whatever, you're going to die anyway, I'm basically paraphrasing Paul. That's what he says about it. If you're still in your sins, eat, drink, be merry, you're going to die tomorrow. Like, and when he talks about that, that's the life of a Christian. We die, we suffer, we live out our salvation. We labor for the gospel because we're hoping for the future. And that's actually the next thing we're going to talk about. It's not just that the gospel is primary. It's not just that the gospel does not change. It's that the gospel gives life. There is a reason that we teach the gospel. There is a reason that we believe the gospel. There is a reason that we share the gospel. Because there is a benefit that comes from the gospel. I'm going to read verse 51 and 58 through 58. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be put, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Remember, uh, remember a few weeks ago I talked about if you're a Christian, you are a, we said this earlier, missionary. missionary. Yeah, you're laboring, you're working, you are giving up essentially your life for the gospel. When you believe in God, when you repent of your sin, it's not just that you say sorry for everything that you've done, it's that you give your life to God. Think about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Like when you come to Jesus, when Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. And that's actually the thing that a lot of people have trouble with. It's like, I want to be on the throne of my own life. I want to be the king of my own life. I want to make my own decisions and do the things I want to do. The hard part about the gospel isn't having to say sorry. It's having to change. It's having to accept that God is the king and that you do do what God says. But that's hard. Why? Why would you do that? 
Paul says, if you're still in your sins, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Why? Why am I giving up the life that I have? Why am I giving up the pleasure that I have? Why am I giving up the opportunity to do whatever I want? Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, then we of all men are most to be pitied. Why am I giving up my life for something that isn't even real if it's not real? And the reason why is because we aren't living for this life. We are living for eternity. And Paul says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because there's a reward. Because at the end of it all, you're going to rise again. You're going to be alive. You're going to have a new body. You're going to live in heaven forever. And you're going to be always enjoying the fruit of the work that you did in this life because there's something you hope for. And that's the thing, guys. Think about that. That's what we live for. That's what we want. That's what we desire. If you're not a Christian, then you need to accept the gospel because this is what's being offered to you. You're being offered eternal life. You're being offered sinlessness. You're being offered perfection. Freedom from disease, freedom from suffering, freedom from work. Well, not work, but freedom from the toil and pain of work. Like, all of the stuff that makes this life so hard and broken, eventually we're going to be free from it. And that's what we live for. But also, we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or 4, I don't remember which one, we talked about how everyone's work will be judged and they will be rewarded for the work they do. Heaven is made better by the work that you do here. So if you're not a Christian, you need to accept the gospel. You need to repent. You need to accept Christ as your Savior and as your Lord because this is what's being offered to you. But if you are a Christian, don't you want this for other people? Don't you want this for your parents? Don't you want this for your siblings? Don't you want this for your friends? Don't you want this for everyone that you meet? And that's why the mission of a Christian on this earth is to share the gospel. And if you're going to share the gospel, you need to know what it is. If you're going to share the gospel, you need to have accepted it yourself first. If you're going to share the gospel, you need to understand that you can't just change it to be whatever you want. If you're going to share the gospel, you need to have your heart set on eternity. You need to be thinking about where you're going because knowing where you're going makes everything that you do here worth it. And isn't that a pleasant thought? I'm not living for the suffering of today. I'm living for the glory of tomorrow. And if you're a Christian, you're living for the same thing. So with that, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray it out. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for suffering the penalty of our sin Because there was no way for us to get into heaven otherwise. There was no way for us to escape hell otherwise. Lord, thank you that you have given us this book to learn what you have to say about the gospel, about life, about obedience, about you, about everything that we need. And thank you that you've given us people in our lives who can share that with us and that you've given us the ability to accept it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the gospel not as a stumbling block, not as foolishness, but that you would help us to see it as the power of God bringing salvation. I pray that you would help us to see the value of that in our own lives.
that if we aren't a Christian, that we would accept your gospel and let it change us and bring us to life. And that, Lord, if we are Christians, that you would help us to see the value of this as something to be shared. That we wouldn't want to change it, but that we would want to share it as it is and bring others to know you so that they can have eternal life. Lord, thank you that we aren't living for this life, this temporary, painful, suffering-filled life, but that we are living for eternity. For a time when you are going to come back, you're going to set things right, and when you're going to bring us into your family, into your home, to be with you forever. Lord, help us to live for that. Help us to hope in that. Help us to love it and help it to run our lives. And Lord, I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ, who had to give and suffer so much so that we could have this benefit. In his name I pray. Amen.